Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This man died in 2020 at the age 81. Herman Kane. I don't know. He sold well over 100 million records in a career that spanned seven decades. Oh, he's a singer. Is it Waylon Jennings? It's not Waylon Jennings. He's more a fan favorite than a critic's darling. He was something of a late bloomer. His career as a solo artist did not gain traction until he was 38. Oh, man, I have no idea. Duo recordings were a prominent part of his repertoire. Oh, I know who it is. He sang with Dolly Parton. It's Dolly Parton's (laughs) guy. What is his name? Give me another clue. Long before the ascendancy of Garth Brooks and Shania Twain in the 1990s, he was among the first country artists to sell out arenas. Yes. Oh, it's, um... He sang <laughs> that song. <laughs> I'm blanking today. All I right. didn't get much sleep last night. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last clue. He described his music as having two categories love songs like You Decorated My Life and narrative ballads like The Gambler and Lucille. <laughs> the Gambler. Yeah, I know, I know. He's Willie Nelson's friend. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. What is his name? Mom, who sang The Gambler with... Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers, yeah. That's good. Uh, Today's dead celebrity is Kenny Rogers. Oh, my God. I can't believe I could not remember Kenny Rogers. (laughs) Know when to walk away and know when to run. Welcome to Famous and Gravy. My name is Michael Osborne. My name is Amit Kapoor. And on this show, we go through a series of categories about multiple aspects of a famous person's life. We want to figure out the things in life that we would actually desire and ultimately answer the big question, would I want that life? Today, Kenny Rogers died 2020, age 81. First category, grading the first line of their obituary. Kenny Rogers, 
a prolific singer who played a major role in expanding the audience for country music in the 1970s and 80s, died on Friday at his home in Sandy Springs, Georgia. That was it? That's it. Very short. I was exactly my reaction. You're like, really? I couldn't believe that was it. Yeah. I mean, it was descriptive. It was complimentary. But I expected at least one, like, some reference to the major things. I would expect a gambler reference at a minimum. Amen. Yeah. Before I read it, I was asking myself, is the gambler going to be mentioned in the first line of the obituary? Surely. And I, I have to say that in preparing for this episode, I really did not realize how big, deep, rich, expansive, and prolific his career was. I had such a strong association between him and the gambler that I was like, well, are they going to mention this one huge hit? Yeah. They did say prolific. But they didn't say anything else. Well, let's put some context into this. When did we lose Kenny? In 2020. Hang when, on. when specifically in 2020? March 21st, 2020. Correct. The world was on fire, was yeah. beginning to inflame. So maybe it was just not the time for playful words and expansive first lines. We're talking about COVID, obviously. March 2020 is the beginning of the pandemic. Especially the second half of March. I, I don't know but the exact date. is that to date. give them a pass on writing the obituary? Yes, it Maybe. is. Really? I think so. I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I don't have the entire paper in front of me from March 21st, but maybe it just, the mood wasn't there. That feels like bullshit to me. I get that the mood isn't there. Yes, COVID was a major disruption to American life, but the people at the New York Times who write these obituaries, they have a job to do. I'm not trying to make the case that Kenny Rogers was important. I just feel like there's a lot more to be said here. But it wasn't transport yourself back then. It wasn't just the news of the day. He was probably staring at his air conditioning vent, just wondering if something is going to seep out and like tear apart his insides. Point taken. We're moving away from that point. So we're taking it out of context. And you are arguing that no matter what, it's not enough. Goddamn right it's not. I don't care if you like Kenny Rogers' music or not. Let's just go through this again, because all they say, prolific singer, played a major role in expanding the audience of country music in the 70s and 80s. True. Died on Friday. I mean, that's it. I also mean, true. <laughs> it's just missing a lot. Yeah. I, I mean, to say he was a crossover star, to say he had friends, to say he was an icon, that he sold out arenas, I mean, all the other stuff that was in the quiz, there's usually more room to pack in. I was, yeah. I came away from this extremely disappointed. There were no jabs, though. It was all complimentary. I feel like the scantness of it is itself a jab. They really did not honor him. But I actually think it's also consistent with his popularity and fame in that even that line, he was more of a fan favorite than a critic's darling. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that seems reflected in the scantness of the first line of his obituary. He's very forgettable. To them. Or you're just, now you're making a statement, an opinionated statement. Well, maybe. I, I, I think he's underestimated in some ways. Okay. Fair enough. Okay, so your grade on the obituary, I one give it to a ten. one. I give it a one. A one. I'm sorry. This just doesn't do it. I've never heard such things. <laughs> there's, there's nothing. Maybe I'll bump that up to a two because it's accurate. But the amount it misses is offensive to me. 
Okay. And I don't even like his music. <laughs> I just want to make that clear too. Okay. I'm just sort of like not impressed with this obituary line. And even if you think you might die tomorrow, you have a job to do. Might die at this moment, not just tomorrow. I'm not taking your approach. I do agree it was scant, especially for the New York Times. But I thought it was complimentary. It said more than just prolific. It said that he was a crossover. Expanding the audience. Yeah. So I refused to remove the context from it. So I'm giving it six. Wow. It's better than average for you, huh? Yeah. I guess five is an average in a definitive way, but it's almost like six or seven is the average. You know, I'm thinking more of like, Grading How in can school. Six or seven no, it's like grading in school. Like nobody gets a fifty. It's all leaning towards the average is actually. I've, a C+. I've taught classes. I've had students, and there is always a bell distribution. And you're saying it's better than average. I'm saying it's a six, and I'm saying I have every right to define myself what it means if I'm giving it a score between one to ten. You're not a little disappointed. Yes, I am. But you're giving Hence the gap yeah. between 10 it's and 6. It's on a curve because of COVID. No, it's not on a curve because of COVID. So it's on my on own curve. curve. Yeah, of- yeah, no, you're right. I there There is some forgiveness because of COVID. And it's not because of COVID. I'm not talking August 2020. Yeah. I'm talking March 20th, 2020. Yeah. All right, let's go on to category two. Five things I love about you. Here, Ahmed and I work together to come up with five things we love about this person. Why don't you start us off? Okay, his friends. His famous friends. Lionel Richie comes up quite a bit in the research. Kenny and Lionel were definitely buds. Lionel wrote the song, Lady. Lady. And he's extremely complimentary. Dolly Parton, obviously. Willie is on that list. But also, I got his memoir. The names that come up throughout, Michael Jordan, for example, and Kenny Rogers were friendly. There's another moment where he talks about hanging out with George Burns. And then, you know, the thing that really sums it up for me is that he had a pretty instrumental role in We Are the World, all the singers coming together. But you can't can't put that inclusive of your number one. It's not, but I'm impressed with his friendships in the country music domain and beyond. Are these deep friendships? They seem to be. Certainly with Lionel Richie, there seems to be a real true shared respect and love for, for for these two guys, right? Both of whom, again, whose music I do not care for. Yeah. But I, I like that. I like that that he's connecting with people outside of country music because, to me, he's such a fixture of country music. That's great. Friends is the one thing that we've, we kind of struggle to fit into a category here because it is one of the most definitive things about a good life or a quality of life, but it's a really, really hard thing to get data on. And so anytime that we have known friendships, it's a great thing to love about somebody. So that's my one. That's a good one. Okay, I'll go back. I'll take it to his earlier days in Houston where he grew up, but grew up very poor. Yeah. First in his family, he thinks, to ever graduate high school. And the reason I'm choosing this is we have a lot of rags to riches stories that we see in this, but not a lot of rags to pop stories, if you know what I mean. Like, he's pop country. And you do have some of those kind of gritty songs and stuff that come out of him, but you have a lot of what seems like sort of rich boy songs. Mm. But where his roots were are so different from that. Yeah. So I like that. All right, I'll take three. Mm -hmm. I like that he became famous age 38. The late bloomer thing. Late 30s isn't... Super duper late. And he had been with that band First Edition 
which I want to talk about more in a second. But his solo career and him as this, you know, standalone singer and and later duo didn't really happen until age 38. I kind of like the slow burn of that, you know? I kind of like that he got to his late 30s before there was really, like, breakout superstardom for him. You know, and Brian Cranston's another good example. Somebody who didn't make it famous for their, you know, good looks in their early 20s. You know, that he's a more of a fully formed man by then. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. That means a lot to me, too. So does that mean I get number four? It does. So I guess we're going back to the first edition. The song that became famous again for you and I at sort of our coming of age period, I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in, which was a key song in The Big Lebowski. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. But why I'm choosing this is here we have Kenny Rogers, later known as country pop star, but this is a song about LSD. Yeah. So I'm putting that as something I love about him, not because it's a drug song, but just because it speaks to the well-roundedness or is it the sort of all circles that he actually touched. Like in the same breath that you say he was actually friends with Michael Jordan, right. it's kind of the same thing as the guy who sang The Gambler also has this very famous song that had a second life in it that was originally written about a drug experience. And I did not know that that was Kenny Rogers' voice before doing the research on this episode. Did you? That yeah, song? you didn't buy the soundtrack to The Big Lebowski? I had it, but I don't think I put it together that that was Kenny Rogers' vocals on that song. And so you knew that ahead of time? I think so, yeah. A couple more things on that song, because that's also on my list. Apparently, it was a Jimi Hendrix favorite. Like Jimmy a favorite? Really, yes, okay. Jimmy really liked this song. And Kenny Rogers did mention it in his memoir that for some people the association with Lebowski is their entire knowledge of the band and of the song and of the first edition. They didn't know it outside of that movie. And it's a good song. It's a great song. Well, cool. So I guess five? We're at five. We're at five. Wow, okay. I went with Fried Chicken Entrepreneurship. Okay. The Kenny Rogers Fried Chicken chain, which did pretty well and was famously part of a Seinfeld episode when they opened it right next to Kramer's. Well, did you go down to the Kenny Rogers and complain? Oh, they gave me the heave-ho. You know, I don't think that Kenny Rogers has any idea what's going on down there. So, can I just expand that to just general entrepreneurship? He owned studios. I think he actually owned... Um, the We Are the World the, studio. The studio that, that a lot of We Are the World was recorded in. Yes. There was a theater, I think, in Branson that he owned. He had part of a racing car... Not a team, but I think like a chassis. Yeah. I don't even exactly know what that means, but it was something that he lent his name and his time and his money to. Yeah. He had a lot of things in addition to the chicken. And well, which we should say was a partnership between him and the former CEO of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah. So this is no small chicken. <laughs> this is no, no spring chicken. Yeah. I had, I want to talk about the chicken for a second. Please. So uh, maybe it'll, it'll come up more because of that Seinfeld episode that made it so famous. Yeah. But I actually didn't know at the time whose chicken it was. I knew that there was Kenny Rogers, but at the time there was also a Kenny Rogers that played baseball, I believe for the Rangers. And I didn't know like which Kenny Rogers chicken it was, or if it was neither of them, if there just happens to be a third Kenny Rogers who had chicken. But at some point you figured out it's the country singer's fried chicken. Which might have been yesterday. I'm not <laughs> sure what that point was. It, okay, so let's recap where we are. What do we so, got on Number one, you said friendships. Yeah. Two, I said grew up very poor. Yeah. Three, I had famous breakout stardom at age 38. Yep. 
four was what condition my condition was in. And then five was uh, entrepreneurship with an emphasis on fried chicken. With an emphasis on chicken. Okay, okay. great. All right, let's move on to category three, Malkovich Malkovich. This category is named after the movie Being John Malkovich, in which there is a portal available into John Malkovich's mind where you can have a front row seat to his experiences. What did you have for Malkovich Malkovich? There were a few. There were some that I wanted to say. I wanted to say the We Are the World recording, which I think I would say for anybody that was present at We Are the World that I want to be there Yeah, for that. A side note, that was my go-to karaoke song for a while. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, I just, I, I love the song, but I have such vivid imagery of that recording and it just, it lasted for years and just sort of the American, I don't know. Yeah, Americanness of it yeah. or something, yeah. Can we pause actually? How do you feel about Kenny Rogers' music overall? I like the hits. Do you? If yeah, if I play him on repeat for a few hours, not so much. Sure. But I like the hits. Okay. I've said I don't like his music so much because it really gets stuck in my head. It's already playing for repeat in my head for hours and hours before we've even started listening. Yeah. But that really is based on what is admissibly a very incomplete understanding of his music. I have not ever owned a Kenny Rogers album and what condition my condition Zen or whatever the hell the name of that song is, is good enough that I came away from the research for this a little more curious. Yeah. So, but my my actual Malkovich, so I said it's not We Are the World. Okay. What I chose was he sang The Gambler on stage with Fish at Bonnaroo. We're going to bring up someone that we are absolutely thrilled to play with right now. Um, please give a warm welcome to Kenny Rogers. <laughs> That's what I wanted to be behind the eyes of him being on stage with fish, with fish yeah. at Bonnaroo. You know, it's not like this is like a Madison Square Garden yeah. fish. Like this is the new, slightly alternative Woodstocky type of thing. Yeah. Or as much as you can be in today's like commercial festival world. So this song that he made famous, along for a band that represents, I wouldn't say the opposite of it, but something completely different from it to a fan base that probably has never attended any of your concerts. Yeah. That experience of worlds, I wouldn't say colliding, but worlds like hugging, especially that late in his life. You what know? do you think that was like for him? I mean, that's, to me, that's the point of the Malkovich question, is to sort of imagine the inner life of performing The Gambler with Trey. So I, I'm saying the same guy that recorded Condition, which was about very much the liberation and alternative lifestyle and drug culture. And then he became a pop star, for three decades before, and then he's back on stage in 2012 with Trey Anastasio in front of, like, the modern version of that crowd from the 60s. Yeah, that is beautiful. I yeah. like that. Good one. So, I give you my Malkovich moment? Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of candidates here for me. I thought about going with when he met his fifth wife's parents because it sounded awkward. Moments of awkwardness are always interesting to me. I ended up going with... Apparently, he developed something of a backstage friendship with Elvis. And this came out of his memoir. He got the chance to meet Elvis on a handful of occasions. And apparently, Elvis approached him. He tells this one story about Elvis showing up at his dressing room and telling him, Kenny Rogers, I like your music. And Kenny says, he's sort of fumbling around, says, I, I like yours too, Elvis. Uh, <laughs> which I think is sort of endearing. But... He also has this line in the memoir where he talks about Elvis seemed lonely. Like he was sort of looking for somebody to connect with. This is a, before Kenny Rogers' solo career really takes off. 
And he seems to be thinking about what fame can do and can mean and can be. And this gets back to the sort of late bloomer thing. To see a loneliness, to perceive a loneliness, an alienation, an isolation in in Elvis. In fact, they got to talking about gambling, and this is not in that first interaction, but in a, a later interaction behind stage where Kenny Rogers talks about going and playing blackjack in Vegas and Elvis being like, I wish I could do that. And the colonel who, you know, managed Elvis said, you, you can't go out there. That's dangerous. Kenny Rogers saw the trappings of fame through the eyes of Elvis. And one thing that I am also impressed with, didn't make my five things I love about you list, but I'm really kind of impressed with his comfort with fame. I'm not sure if he anticipated its inevitability for him, but he inhabits fame pretty comfortably. There's another part in the memoir where he talks about somebody, I forget who, says, you're going to need other creative outlets other than music because the road is going to be a grind for you. So he takes up tennis and he takes up photography. Kenny Rogers, that is. Yeah, photography was a big thing. Big thing with him, right? And it seemed like he was sort of managing superstardom on his way to the rocket ship of fame. I guess to bring it back to the Malkovich moment, just like seeing Elvis in his full humanity, but then developing a friendship and getting to know him given Elvis's stature. I want to know the inner life of Kenny Rogers in that moment. Yeah, good one. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, uh, oh yeah. 
And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Next category. How many marriages, also how many kids, and is there anything public to know about these relationships? Whoo, doggy. Yeah, <laughs> this one's a doozy. <laughs> All right, should we just, let's bang through it and then let's talk. Okay. All right, five marriages, five children. First marriage, Janice Gordon, 1958. Kenny is just shy of 20. He claims the first woman he ever slept with. Okay. Got her pregnant, did the quote-unquote admirable thing, got married, it was a shit show. And they are divorced two years later when Kenny is 21 or 22. He is estranged from the first child. They had a child. And what I read on this was that the man his first wife ended up marrying was going to step in as father and ask Kenny Rogers to not be involved in any way, shape, or form. And he claims, okay, I won't be part of this family. So he has no relationship with his first child. Second marriage to Jean in 1960. Kenny is 22-ish. Divorced in 1963, so he's about 25. No kids with that one. Third marriage, Margot Anderson, 1964. Kenny is 26. They divorced in 1976. One child, Kenny Jr., tumultuous marriage. Kenny is... A 12-year tumultuous marriage. Well, yes, but the marriage was apparently over much earlier than when the divorce was finalized, but it also got very contentious. That'll come up later. Kenny is 38 when he divorces his third wife. He gets married again to Marianne Gordon, actress, who was in, among other movies, Rosemary's Baby. And that's in October of 1977. I have Kenny at about 39. And they divorced in 1993. One child... Kenny is 55. And then his fifth and final marriage to Wanda Miller in 1997. Kenny is about 59. They had identical twin sons and were married for 22 years until his death. Yeah. He was never single. These gaps between marriages are like months in some cases. Yeah. He was chain-smoking marriages. Yeah. Like one would end and then he could go to the next. Yeah. And I mean, he's pretty forthcoming about his sex drive. And I think this matters because at the tail end of marriage number four, this will come up later in regrets, he gets caught up in this phone sex scandal, kind of. I don't okay. know if you, you, did you come across this? No. As his marriage is disintegrating, it comes out and gets leaked to the National Enquirer and it's hugely embarrassing. So, you know, whenever you and I get to this category, the marriages, in which case, here there are five. You use the term chain-smoking marriages, which I think is right on the money. You know, I'm always wondering what to make of it. Five marriages, at first blush, doesn't look very good. What do you make of this? Of the five marriages? Yeah, if we're on the marriage category, the marriage and the kids thing. So I, I see it as just he is um, afraid to be alone. That many marriages, such small gaps in between, I see 
a deep fear of being alone. Yeah. He clearly was not fully committed, and I'm not saying he was disloyal. It's just that, you know, he was still kind of looking around the corner for possibly what's next. Like, he hadn't really committed inside of himself. And so he enters into a marriage. It doesn't go well. He divorces it and thinks this one will go well, but then there's someone next who comes along and who's hotter or whatever. And so it's a conflict between not wanting to be alone, which is a very, very real, strong force, and also maybe being a sexual attractive being that he didn't know how to reconcile those two things. I think that you also have to factor in the lifestyle of the work itself, that he's on tour a lot, and he is performing these songs to big arenas, and he's still a huge commercial draw. I just don't know how one does family life with that kind of schedule. It's not just that you're on the road, but it's also like the energy that it takes to sort of gear up for each show. Yeah. And that the show's largely happening at night, so you don't have a regular sleep schedule. I don't know how anybody could honestly be a professional musician and be at home for a family. There's tens of thousands of people that do that. Musicians, comedians, anybody that tours in that sort of way. But they all do it. Most of them do it. It's true. You know, over and over in his book, he says there's a fine line between being driven and being selfish. Mm -hmm. I think that that plays into his marriage record. I think that on one hand, he is driven to success. And I think he's intentional about his desire to be a crossover performer. I also think that comes at the expense of family life. He's estranged from his first daughter. His next two children are, are both boys, and he is very upfront about not being present for them when they were kids. Okay. He's on the road a lot. And what is that difference between being selfish and driven? I think that there is a fine line. I got to say, I did not expect Kenny Rogers to have that kind of ability for self-reflection, you know, or, and self-awareness. Yeah. Let's just talk for a second. Like, why are all these touring artists married? I mean, isn't it just a desire for stability? Yeah, that's the question, though, that does this level of touring fame compromise that stability? Yes, but I would imagine that you tell yourself, I'm going to be thoughtful about my time and how much I'm on tour. I mean, you hear performing touring acts saying of learning to draw boundaries, essentially, in terms of how much they're on the road and for how long and where they go and who they go with, and even what they're doing on the road. That The question of how to draw those boundaries and how to allocate family time to professional touring, not to mention revenue-deriving life, you know, becomes more and more pointed. I guess what's going on in my head is, can you be a good dad? Like, are you just inherently set up to not be a good parent? I think that's a complicated question. I think it's a great question. I do think with children, there are different phases of life where you may or may not kind of know how to be a parent. When my kids were like less than a year old, I was a non-entity. I mean, they had no relationship with me. And then there are phases where I become more of a you know playful dad or whatever, like get on the ground and play pretend. But there's also phases they go through where like, I'm not as into this age. And I still love them, but it's sort of like my ability to be present and, and, and active. I don't know that being a good parent means doing that through every different phase and stage of life and development. It's okay to look at your schedule and say, I'm going to be on the road for the next three months. 
and that's okay. And I'm stepping away from family life. And it's not that I don't love them just as much, but I'm not going to be around for the next few months. Yeah. And still be a good father or mother. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, it's just, it's so non-traditional compared to the lives we know from our friends and so forth. But obviously, there's hundreds of thousands that do it because their careers require it. But your question is really right. I mean, at the end of the day, as a parent and as a spouse, the only thing you have to give is your attention and is your presence. And phone calls and letters and Zoom meetings and FaceTime meetings kind of only sort of supplement the actual being together in real life and yeah. devoting your attention and who you are to who's sitting across from you. And I think unless they can come on the road with you, you are going to struggle with the family life full stop. Yeah, I don't buy this thing, though, that like of the, the temptations of the road, that you're this illustrious singer and you pack arenas and you have women available to you, therefore it's hard to be married. That much I either don't buy or I just don't want to buy. Because I just, I have to believe self-restraint is the thing. You get married for a reason, and you made an oath, and I just don't see how the fact that you are famous and have women available to you somehow can shake that same inner being that allowed you to, to make that oath. I do think you have a choice to be married or not to be married, and maybe it's more difficult. But I struggle with hearing somebody's famous and on the road and they've got all these different fans throwing themselves at them. I don't think that's the road's fault. I think there's an inner being's fault of not actually being committed or knowing who you are well enough. I 100% agree with that. To say temptations of the road is a convenient excuse for otherwise not wanting to be at home or be participating in the family or whatever. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. Category five, net worth. I saw $250 million. That's what I saw. Holy rich, shit. Rich Kenny. That, $250 uh, million, That's a quarter to tres comas. <laughs> that is... Um, God damn. I mean, that song alone, that one song alone, the royalties that must come from it. The Gambler? Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Kenny is, <sighs> I think, a lot richer than his contemporaries from the same era. It's not all chicken money, you know. It's mostly <laughs> music money. But let me let me tell you a, a story. The year after I graduated college, I was on like a backpacking trip, mm-hmm. and I was in New Zealand at like some festival, and there was just this like group of like drunken Kiwis just like singing that song in unison, like on a picnic blanket on a mountain. Yeah, and you know I knew the song, but I was like, in New Zealand. I mean, I was only like 23 at the time. Right, didn't realize quite how internationally popular Kenny Rogers was. and Yeah, but that's just what they want to do was get drunk and put their arms around each other and sing that song. And yeah. I think that's happened not only in New Zealand. I think you can see that in Europe. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw that in some parts of Africa or Russia, any place. Yeah, it's got tremendous transcendent power. And, you know, the metaphors in it are corny, but also great. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I saw this number, 250 million. And here's something that struck me. Like, he still, every time he performed in the t- throughout the 2000s, up until he quit touring in 2017, he would perform The Gambler. He would sing Islands in the Stream, and he would sing, like, the hits that people wanted to. He didn't have to do that anymore. Now, maybe he's on stage seeking validation from the crowd, because no matter how much money you make, you're still wanting that. But he seemed to have a, I'm going to do this for the audience, it's what they want, 
And that went beyond, you know, racking up the dollars. Yeah. Should we move on? Let's move on. Category six, Simpsons, Saturday Night Live, or Hollywood Walk of Fame. This is a measure of how famous this person is. We include both guest appearances on Saturday Night Live and The Simpsons, as well as impersonations. So let's knock out the easy one, Hollywood Walk of Fame. Because we haven't even talked about the fact that he was an actor. And he's got a Hollywood Walk of Fame. I couldn't believe it. He got it in 1979. He's got a star. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that great? Also, unsurprisingly, in the Country Music Hall of Fame, but Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, good job, Kenny. All right, Simpsons. The only reference I found was that there's a 2003 episode called Bart's Beard. Somehow Bart gets a beard. And Bart pays a visit somewhere and is mistaken for Kenny Rogers. I think in a nursing home. Oh, I didn't even find that. I like that. Yeah. Okay, but no other references you found. No, and I never saw him as a voice on The Simpsons. But they said the name Kenny Rogers, I guess, if they were mistaken. That's right. It counts as we define it. I think so. Saturday Night Live, the thing I saw was Kevin Nealon did an impersonation of him in 1990. Google image that one. It's good. That was the only thing I saw. I never saw him as an act on Saturday Night Live. I thought I saw another one about, not like as an official act, but going on stage during like Gwyneth Paltrow's monologue. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think it's when she was doing that movie, like duets maybe. Country Strong? No. Yeah. I'm getting the facts wrong here, but I think he did walk on stage. Seems like he should have. The other thing I thought worth mentioning here, Mad TV, did this come up for you? Yeah, I saw that a lot. I've never watched really Mad TV, but there was a recurring sketch. Yeah, well, do you remember Mad Magazine, how it used to work? They would take two disparate things and sort of pair them together. So you might have like Star Wars characters in the Seinfeld sitcom, and then they'd just like have sketches of that. This was Kenny Rogers' Jackass, like Jackass, the Johnny Knoxville TV show. Hi, I'm Steve-O. And I'm Kenny Rogers. Welcome to Jackass. So it was Kenny Rogers, like, getting hit with a baseball bat and kicked in the balls, that kind of thing. It's pretty hilarious. Okay. (laughs) Actually, I I did still want to say this. In, In as much as this category is meant to capture how famous a person is, clearly he's famous. This gets back to the obituary for me. I think he's still sort of forgettable. Like, for being a kind of 80s fixture for We Are the World, for $250 million for selling out arenas. I do wonder, 30 years from now, are we going to remember this guy at all? The song will be remembered, right? The name associated with it, perhaps not. Because surely, I mean, here we are only a year and a half after his death. Isn't that kind of weird, though, right? Like, that, I mean, that he gets a sort of scant obituary line, maybe because of COVID, but that he makes a Two hundred fifty million dollars that he spans seven decades, and people struggle to remember his name a little bit. You just remember that face on on the cover of country music CDs from the nineteen eighties and nineties. Correct. And I, I don't want to get into this, but how important is it that they do remember your name? Just I don't know if it's on. important. It's just it's it's a disconnect to me, given the commercial success. Yeah, he's not a more like comes right to you, okay, kind of name. Yeah, I just wanted to note it. Okay, all right, over under. In this category, we look at the life expectancy for the year they were born to see if they beat the house odds, and as a measure of grace. So in 1938, the life expectancy for men was 61.9 years. Kenny Rogers died at age 81. Bravo, Kenny. About 20 years over the... Yeah. The, yeah. Our, our winning streak continues. <laughs> well done, Kenny. 
Okay, so at this point, all of our categories have really dealt with what is easily knowable information, the basic facts of a person's life. In a moment, we're going to shift gears and get at the more introspective categories, try and imagine what would it actually be like to be this person. Uh, but before we do that, let's take a break and pause for a word from our sponsor. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, Michael, we each do our own set of research as we prepare for these shows. Mm -hmm. I notice you always reference a biography and you have like a paperback biography with you as we come to studio. Yeah. So I am to assume that you're getting these from some online megamart. Is that correct? No, not at all. The first thing I do when you and I decide on our next dead celebrity is I go and find out, is there a biography on this person? And is that biography available at Half Price Books? There's a store right up the street from me, an actual brick and mortar store where I can walk in. When I go there to find out, do they have a biography for our next dead celebrity? But I always wind up picking up more books. I go through the children's section. I'm a sucker for a good page turner, so I go through the murder mystery section. They also have rare collections. They have signed stuff. I don't know how this sounds to you, but I actually, I love the smell of half-price books. It's got that old book smell. I do. I like that, too. Isn't that a great smell? Yeah. And you know what? Half Price Books is currently celebrating 50 years of buying and selling books, movies, and music. There are more than 120 stores, and you can find out more about Half Price Books at hpb.com. Okay, let's now get into the more introspective categories. The first one being Man in the Mirror. Named after Kenny's friend, Michael Jackson. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's a good one. So here's what I got. Obviously, yes, the silver fox, good looks. This man is a handsome man with a great beard and a good smile. Until the botched plastic surgery, which comes up as a regret. And he's something he actually addresses. And what, what age was that? I think around 2006. So he had another 14 years. Ish, yeah. And to call it a botched plastic surgery is a little harsh. He said, yeah, I didn't really like the way it came out, but you'd move on. He also talked about the decision to have plastic surgery in his 60s or 70s or whatever it is when he did it. And he's like, yeah, I had the money to do it and I wanted to look better. But it did sort of make his eyes come up a little bit more. Does it ever look good on anybody? Plastic surgery? Yeah. I think it does when you don't notice it. When you can spot it, when you can tell somebody's had plastic surgery, it always looks a little awkward to me. I also think there's plastic surgery happening that we really don't know of because they've gotten better at hiding it for exactly that reason. So it's yeah. a little bit of a catch-22. Okay. Yeah. So taking that, that he had this botched plastic surgery and perhaps he didn't like the way he looked after that, Right. can you give a yes or no? You know, it's a tough one. You said earlier, you used the phrase, these chain-smoking marriages. That, to me, influences the man-in-the-mirror question. I think he's self-aware of his image 
big time. And I think he's deliberate in how he cultivates his image as a performer and as a famous man. I don't know that anybody, no matter how good looking you are, looks in the mirror and says, I'm 100% good with it. And I think that's true for Kenny Rogers. Yeah. My guess is he was mostly good with it most of the time. So I'd say, yes, he likes his reflection. Yeah, you brought up really good points. I mean, I was just going to go with an unquestionable yes. You know, there is the plastic surgery. I think you bring up a very good point about the degree to which he was sort of made up. Yeah. And I just hadn't thought about that. So I think you made some good points. Next category, outgoing message. You have reached the voicemail box of... Like Man in the Mirror, we want to know, did they like the sound of their own voice enough that when they heard it on an answering machine or an outgoing voicemail, they were good with it? Again, I maybe I'm I'm not thinking deeply enough about it, but I'm just going yes. I didn't think that this one required a whole lot of thought. Okay. I think he liked the sound of his voice. Yes. Okay. Next category, regrets, public or private. We want to know what, if anything, kept this person awake at night. I've got two in the public category. Can I just take these? Yeah, because you kind of hinted at some of them earlier. Yeah. Go so ahead. Go ahead. Mentioned the botched plastic surgery. I think I mentioned this earlier, but his third wife there it was a very contentious divorce he mentions in the memoir he was mad for giving her too much and not fighting for more custody for his son in divorce number three and then there's also at the end of marriage number four a phone sex tape scandal this is a little hard to follow looking at it now because this is sort of pre-internet as his marriage is disintegrating he starts engaging in phone sex. Yeah. And women can call and leave messages. And he talks about this in his book. He's got a buddy in Dallas who's in on the nightlife scene. He meets some women that way. They have access to this number. But then as the messages are being exchanged and being recorded, they get leaked to the National Enquirer. And he gets hounded by the paparazzi for a few years in the mid-90s as being a kind of pervert. Mm -hmm. They bring lawsuits. He ends up settling out of court. He says in the book, I could have won those fights. I was just being taken advantage of. He also does say, this is consenting adults. This is safe. I'm not hurting anybody. This is just phone sex. What's wrong here? Doesn't matter. Once it enters the public sphere, it's... No, but he clearly regrets that this got out. I don't know if he actually regrets engaging in phone sex. Yeah. But it's pretty clearly a regret. So that's what I got in the public regrets. Did you have anything to add? Just the estrangement from the first child. Yeah. And it does sound like he did do some work to try to reestablish relationships with the next two children. On the private regrets, I didn't see anything obvious here. I was trying to imagine if there's something I didn't hear that he regretted. That we haven't already talked about? Yeah. I don't know. He doesn't come across as a regretful man to me. In as much as he does have regrets, he seems pretty forthcoming. Yeah. I find him authentic. And, and honest. That, I mean, that's a, that's a very strong word. I got to say that's maybe because I entered into this question of who is Kenny Rogers really, this whole research for this episode. Yeah. Very skeptical that I was going to like him at all. Huh. Yeah. Because, I, again, I can't emphasize this enough. I do not care for the man's music other than the condition song. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. And The Gambler? I liked it as like a gateway drug to country when I was like 11 or 12 years old. But now if I hear that song, it kind of annoys me and it's overplayed poppiness. I guess I have an admiration for it, but I, if I sing along to it, it's going to be in a kind of ironic way. 
Yeah, I, I I like it. You still like it? I still like it. Yeah, in all its pop glory, the Catch. same the same way I like Friends in Low Places. Still. Yeah, like I don't it just that's a good comparison. Catch me in the right mood, and I'm going to sing along to it. You know, if other people are into it and everybody's singing along in a bar, I'm not going to shuffle off to a corner and you know wait it out. I'll probably participate, but I just I, I'm not enamored with it. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I I didn't see much on the private regrets. We talked about a lot of them, I guess, leading yeah, up to this I, category. I already kind of covered it. Yeah. All right. Our next category is good dreams or bad dreams. And this is not about personal perception, but rather does this person look haunted? Do they have that look in the eye? I gotta say, I didn't see it. I think good dreams. You didn't see it. No. I can't describe it, but I see it a little bit. Interesting. I see a little, kind of that thing where your eyes are squinted, but they're still wide. Yeah. And it's just an intuition. I expect it in a country singer. Like, it's supposed to be there. And there's certainly some evidence in his life that it's there. But maybe, I, I no, no, maybe I'm ascribing it to this, like, fear of, of being alone and this conflict between settling and exploring. But I feel like I saw a little bit of it in the eye. That's, it's rare that you and I disagree on this. Usually you and I, our, our intuition is aligned here. But I, my intuition didn't see it, I guess. Yeah, and I'm not going strongly bad. Yeah. I'm just going just below the line to where I'm, if I have to pick a side, I'm going bad dreams. All right. Second to last category. Cocktail, coffee, or cannabis? This is where we ask, which one of these substances would we most want to do with this person? And did you say he was he was not much of a drinker himself? Or not a much user? of a drinker. His dad was an alcoholic and a bad drunk, and he was very deliberate about not drinking. In fact, that's one of the ways he won over his father-in-law, okay. two years his younger, and his mother-in-law when he married his fifth wife. He had a house where they didn't drink. And he and, and when he invited people in, there weren't they and weren't drinking. Cocaine, LSD, any of that? No. It sounds I mean he, he I saw an interview where he told a story about doing mescaline once and he said that was an interesting experience and it was really great and then it got weird and then I didn't need to do it again. So it sounded to me like he actually had a really healthy relationship with mind-altering substances. Okay. So where are you going? Coffee, cannabis? I cheated because I want to both smoke a joint, and have a cup of coffee with Kenny Rogers. And the reason is, one, I'm interested in his stories, and I kind of just want to hear about who else he hung out with that I hadn't heard about. And I kind of want that to come rapid fire with a cup of coffee. I also wonder if my take on his music is just, I don't expect that I'll ever encounter any of his songs on the radio or on a Spotify playlist and say, oh, that's actually really good. But I could see him sitting down with a guitar in front of me in a sort of rougher, unpolished, appeals to me in a kind of more intimate way and being like, oh, the raw musical talent is better than I appreciated. And I'd like to get high and listen. Okay. I went simpler. I wanted to drink with him for the same reasons you said to, to tell the stories I also wanted the gambler experience of like for a taste of your whiskey. Yeah. I'll give you some advice. So yeah. <laughs> I but I pictured it like when I was when I was writing my answers, I pictured it like we were having a neat whiskey in this kind of like 70s bar and Kenny was wearing a white suit. Yeah. But I'm still wearing this. Your um, Astros hat and your LL Bean. Yeah, don't reveal the Astros hat. Sorry. Because it's not your baseball what, cap and your uh LL Yeah, Bean. no, it's okay. But yeah, I pictured it like that. The white suit and a drink is a nice image. Yeah. You know, you said you went simpler. I mean, have I made Kenny Rogers too complicated in this whole thing? Isn't that the whole idea? 
I guess it is, but I don't know. I, I really, I, I found myself more intrigued than I expected. Yeah. Well, hell, we've arrived. Our final category, named after James Vanderbeek, who famously said in Varsity Blues, I don't want your life. Based on everything we've talked about, the big question is, do you want this life? Amit. Am I going first? Do you want Kenny Rogers' life? So I guess I am going first. You can throw it back to me if you want to think about it some more. No, I'm I'm ready. It seemed like an obvious yes, kind of the same way that I thought that Man in the Mirror and Outgoing Message kind of initially seemed like obvious yeses. But there's a couple of things that doesn't sit well. One, his life as an artist was about other people's stuff. He wasn't a songwriter. He was a singer. Mostly. Yeah. Maybe he wrote some originals. He did, but yes. Artistry to me, if I were to ever have the possibility of it, it needs to be more autobiographical or from my perspective. Uh, originality matters. Originality matters to me. Yeah. I also think that we spent a lot of time on the marriages and wives. The five is not so much of a big deal, but it's the endless, you know, from age 19 to death with barely a gap the trial and error part of it, the not much room for self-exploration and making these big mistakes. I mean, it's not it's obviously not how I've lived or how I live right now, but I don't like the lack of time to sort of rediscover and really figure out what's inside of you in between those. Mm. I also don't like the idea of four broken vows. I've said that before. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things to like, about Kenny, I like that he did so much more than music. But the question isn't, um, do you like him? It's, do you no. want the life? And yeah, so those two things really stick out to me and stick out stronger to me than the totality of the others. So I'm saying, no, I don't want your life. Yeah, it's a good case. I do not like the broken vowed thing. I have to imagine anybody who is on stage and touring that, yes, you can tell yourself I'm doing it for the fans well after you've crossed the 100 million, 150, 200 million mark, but that there's actually also a need for validation that is still driving you. And those two things can coexist. Those two things can be there at the same time. And it looks like that also is happening in the marriage, that there's just an unfulfilled need. I think that's really common in life, kind of no matter what. I think we are all dealing with unmet and unfulfilled needs and that there's an insatiability to the human condition. But in as much as that's like in the challenge of life is to understand those needs and to meet them in more satiated, sustained ways, it seemed like he talked himself into a certain level of stability and certainly had a, ultimately a committed marriage. You make a really good case. And it is the counter to a lot of other things that are working here. He's got good stories. The friendships thing really resonates big time for me. I like his variety of friendships and in different contexts and his comfort with other men and women who he gets to know throughout his life. That part's very attractive to me. The original artist thing also, because you're right, I mean, he's got some original songs, no question about it, but He's not known for the original songs. He's known for the performance. Jeez, man. I, I felt like I was leaning yes, and now having heard you talk about it, I'm not sure where I'm at with this. Because it does somehow fall short for me. 
despite the accolades, despite the financial success, despite how much he's adored, it's almost like those things delivered such a strong message to his inner life that it left no room for any other question of, but is there some other thing that's meaningful? And I feel like he's looking for that, and I'm not convinced he got it. So I'm Kenny Rogers. Do you want my life? I don't want to say no just to be a contrarian. I feel like at some point I need to say the quest is over. This is as good as it gets. And this is good. So I'm going to say yes. I want this life. It has some real problems for me. And it has some things that are not complete, that are not fulfilled, that are not even deep enough for the life I really think I want. But I think if this isn't good enough, then I kind of feel like maybe I'm holding myself to some crazy expectation of what it's all supposed to mean. And I, at some point, I need to call it and say, this is good enough. Yeah, good that you reasoned your way through that. Yeah, but it's always, I'm not, I'm right there. Yeah, <laughs> right you've got to be right there. I mean, it's, it's, we're talking about famous people. It, they all should seem obvious yeses. But the fact that, that it frequently ends up in the middle zone is interesting. Yes, but I also wish I had a better criteria for distinguishing the superficial accolades from the real meaningful good stuff of what this is all about in life, right? And, and maybe you will. Maybe the longer we do this show, you will. Maybe you'll have more definitive answers and clearer ones as we get to it. But we are workshopping ourselves here too, Michael. Like, this isn't just for other people. And so they're not going to be short, trite answers. And there's going to be questions that we're asking ourselves through that. Yeah. So good for you for struggling with it. Okay. All right, I'm going to feel good enough about that today. Yeah. Well, hell, we're at the end of our show. Amit, you're Kenny Rogers. Yeah. You've died, and you are in the afterlife <laughs> with St. Peter? Yeah, St. Peter as our Unitarian proxy for... For the afterlife. Yeah. And you have an opportunity to make your pitch. The floor is yours. The St. Peter. The story of my life is... God, there's so many stories around my life. You see where where I started with how much money my family started with and where I ended up. It is quite an ascendancy. I don't think that is why I'm here making my case. I think the case I am making is one of joy and reach. So my songs reached the world. I was part of a song called We Are the Worlds, but that's not what I'm talking about. That I have sung ballads that have literally been played probably in every country in the world. And some of these songs are about sorrow, but what they bring is joy. I also want to make the case of individual lives that I was very close to. I had close relationships with a long list of other superstars. And I'm not just talking about good old boys. I duetted with some amazing women. I had friendships with athletes, directors, actors, but I brought them joy. So my life is not about this cycle and overcoming the odds. My life was about spreading joy. Let me in.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Famous and Gravy. If you're enjoying our show, please go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review. You can sign up for our mailing list at famousandgravy.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at Famous and Gravy. Our show was co-created by Amit Kapoor and me, Michael Osborne, mixing, mastering, and sound design by Morgan Honecker, graphic design by Brandon Burke, and original music by Kevin Strang. Thank you again for listening, and hope to see you next time.